0: I don't think there's anything that a man could do. One of the things that a man can do to show that he's a man is what these five guys have done this weekend. Lead us in worship and singing praise to God. That's what a man does. Uses his giftings for the glory of God. So I just sat there and I said, this is great. Here's some men who love Jesus. And they're willing to sing about their love for Jesus and also lead us in that worship time. So I think that's powerful. And I love it when women do it, but I love it also when men do the same thing. Um, Men, uh, yesterday was Valentine's Day. That may explain why your wife is unhappy with you today. And the good news is you could probably go and get reduced candy and carts the bad news is you're dead. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say next weekend I'm going to share a little bit because we haven't talked much about the Roshek building. We've been through, going through a lot of changes here. We just hired an executive pastor, Dave Clark, and he's going to be starting March 2nd. And uh, so we've been kind of trying to fill uh, fill some positions and voids that we have. And uh, But we haven't forgotten about Rorschach. I want to give you an update next uh, weekend, so I'll do that. But I want to begin by uh, just giving you some t- statistics. As I said, yesterday was Valentine's Day, and uh, I was just curious as to where it all began. And many pin it back to the Roman Empire. It began there, but it really get, it got speed uh, around 200 to 300 A.D., where two Christian uh, clerics who happened to be named Valentine, were uh, martyred. And then later on at 400 A.D., the Pope basically uh, commemorated a day to honor these uh, martyred uh, saints, and he called it St. Valentine's Day. Um, 1300 uh, A.D., St. Valentine becomes associated with love and romance. Not sure why that happened, but it did. And in 1600 in Europe, uh, Europe embraced the tradition of uh, exchanging valentines. And uh, I don't know if you were raised, I was raised in a, a school where we exchanged valentines every year on Valentine's Day, which was always sort of all awkward and weird. But And then in 1840, the first mass production of valentines took place. I thought this was interesting. In the U.S., we spent or we spend, I don't know what we spent, uh, $448 million is spent on candy. And $58 million on chocolate. I would have thought it would be higher for chocolate. But um, if you got one of those heart-shaped boxes for uh, your special one, uh, 36 million other people did too. 150 million cards were sent. And it's interesting how much is spent on Valentine's Day. Men spend an average of $150. Women spend $74. No comment. (laughs) But here's the thing. For many people, Valentine's Day is a day that basically says you're alone. And it's a hard day. It can be a very hard day. But here's the thing. I believe that what Valentine's Day shows most people, and and even beyond Valentine's Day, I think there's a point where every one of us comes to a place where we feel, I don't really need romance. I need to know that I'm loved. And I need to know that I love somebody else. I need to know that I'm loved and I'm being loved. And that I'm loving someone else. The need to love and to be loved, I think, is what, to me, is really behind all of what goes on at Valentine's Day. We all need to be needed. We all want to be connected. And in our passage this weekend, Paul's going to talk about how we are connected. Because that's really what it comes down to. We wake up. And when we think about it, most of us think, does my life matter? Does anyone care? If if I stop my existence, would it even make a difference in this world or in anyone's life? And I think we asked that question, and Paul's going to talk in our passage about this connection. I think it's interesting that this movie that is out to, uh, this weekend, Fifty Shades of Grey, which to me is nothing more than, I, I thought the, the uh, Matt Chandler Friday night, we had a kind of a get together here and he, he made a great statement about that. And essentially uh, what he said uh, uh, I thought was right about that. My, my take on that whole book, movie phenomena is this. That when we take love and intimacy out of the way that God intended it to be, It becomes like a drug that never ever fulfills its promises. It always leaves us empty and asking for more. And I think what we're going to talk about this weekend is a love and an acceptance that fills our hearts and fills our lives and fills our souls. And I think it's much more important. So um Instead of thinking about and talking about lust and eroticism, we're going to talk about love and how it can make every one of us, whether we're, we have uh, someone in our life, uh, a female or male in our life, or whether we're alone, but we know we're loved. And we know that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And we know we're connected. And we know our life matters. And we're going to talk about that. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 25 and on page eight ninety two of your chair Bible, I want to read the passage it 's uh, Galatians, and we're moving through the book of Galatians chapter three verse twenty five <clears throat> This is what the the apostle Paul says and now that the way of faith has come, we are no long we no longer need to be need the law as our guardian. And I want you to think at least highlight or write this next phrase down that he says. For you are all children of God. Notice how it comes. Through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promised Abraham belongs to you. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set and that's the way it was with us before Christ came we were like children we were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world but when the right time came god sent his son born of a woman subject to the law god sent him excuse me god sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that He could adopt us as His very own children. Because we are His children, God has sent His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own children. And since you are His child, God has made you is His heir. So here's what I want you to see. Essentially what Paul's saying all through the book of of Galatians and what he's saying again today is you are either under the law, keeping the law, or you are under Christ. And when you are under the law, you are a slave. When When you are in Christ, you are free. And that's essentially what we want to talk about. But Paul's going to show us that there's three critical connections that this passage gives us. It shows us how we're connected how we're connected, okay? And the first one is this, our connection to society. He says this, he says, there's no longer Jew or Greek or, excuse me, Jew or Gentile, Greek or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, what does it mean to be in Christ? This is a really important, loaded, significant theological phrase in the New Testament. When they talk about being in Christ Jesus, that means that you're under the umbrella of Christ, that you are part of something bigger. There's a spiritual, cosmic connection between you and Jesus. And not just you you and Jesus, but you and everyone else who loves and follows and has given their life to Jesus. There's this spiritual connection that you have with Him. You are now in Christ Jesus. And that is, like I said, it's like an umbrella, and there's a big umbrella. And, and it, what it means is that we are equal in our need of salvation. We were, uh, And Paul is saying in Christ, we not only belong to Christ, but we belong to one another. We're now brothers and sisters, so we have a connection with one another. And then he talks about what this connection with one another looks like. See what I'm saying here is Paul says there's a significant connection because you are in Christ Jesus. If you called upon the Lord, if you ask Jesus to come into your life, if you've given your life to him as he's given his life to you, you have this new connection with Christ, and it not only connects you with Christ, it connects you with one another. And that's what he's talking about. And he says he says there's a whole new society that's been created now. There's no distinction of race. There's neither Jew nor Greek, verse twenty eight. Uh, We're all equal, equal in our need of salvation, equal in our inability to earn or deserve it, equal in the fact that God offers it freely to everyone. It doesn't matter what race you are, what color your skin is, where you were born. This is an offer that goes out and it's beyond all race restrictions. It goes out to everyone. Secondly, there's no distinction of rank. He says there's neither slave or free. There are just societies around the world. India is one that has a caste system. And it essentially is it comes down to this. It depends on which which family you are born in. And whatever family you're born in is going to determine your destiny in this life. And essentially, one of the reasons that the, the reincarnation, I think, thrives in India is because hopefully in the next life you'll be in a higher caste. Well, you know what? What Paul is saying here is your... Cast, where you are in, in the ladder of success or society has no bearing at all on whether you are in Christ or not or whether you can receive the freedom and forgiveness that Jesus offers. It, it is beyond race barriers. It is beyond societal barriers uh, of rank. Um, basically, this is... Uh, you know, if you're born in the caste system, you're born. You may be in a lower caste, and that's where you're born. That's where you live. That's where you'll die. But essentially, what the, what it says here is, it says, "In Christ, class snobberies are rendered void. That class doesn't play a factor." And that's why I love within the the true church, you'll see that you'll see men who have men and women who have power and prestige. Uh, working in a ministry with people who in, in our society would be seen as a lower part of society and they're brothers and sisters in Christ. But that's the way it is in his kingdom. So, number three, he says there's no distinction of sex. There's neither male nor female. Women are often at, at the bottom of the ladder within moch, most of ancient societies. But in Christ, male and female are equal. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. Now, I want to get, I want to just clarify what I'm saying here. When we say that Christ has abolished these distinctions, we don't mean that they don't exist and we don't mean that they don't matter. We still, uh, we are still there, but they no longer create barriers to fellowship. We respect one another because we are one in Christ. No matter what our race, no matter what our place in society is, and no matter what our sex, we say, you know what, irrespective of all of that, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, the phrase I use all the time is, the, cro- the, the ground beneath the cross is level. Because we all desperately need a Savior. We all desperately need somebody to help us. And, and, and that's what he's saying here. So, our first connection to, when we're in Christ is we're connected to one another. This is a new society, and there is no, there is no pecking order because, just because you're rich doesn't mean that you have prestige in this new community. Just because you, and in fact, James Talks about that, and he says, if you see a rich man and you give him the the front seat, and you see somebody who's not so rich and you put him in the back, he's essentially saying, shame on you. That's not the way it is with God's kingdom. That's not the way it is with God's church. There are no there are no barriers. Just because our society has barriers on on race, or whether you're a man or a woman, or whether you are rich or poor, or slave or free, he says, basically, if you are in Christ, you are. Equal brothers and sisters. All right. Secondly, we're connected not only to one another, we're connected to history. And he says this He says, And now you belong to Christ, and you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and the promise of Abraham uh, belongs to you. So being in Christ ties us to history that's what he's saying here because you're in Christ you're tied to history you're tied to, you are you can look at Abraham and say that is my spiritual ancestor that's my spiritual father Abraham now Abraham lived over 4000 years ago we can trace our spiritual heritage back to Abraham that's what he's saying here we can call Abraham our father he's not and he's just that he's our spiritual fa- father in Genesis 12:3 it says all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. God was speaking to Abraham. And we are blessed through Abraham. We can trace our spiritual heritage back to him. So because of our connection to Jesus and being in Christ, we we are tied to history. We belong to a family. We have a family heritage. Now, I don't know whether you were born or you don't know who your parents are. You don't... But when you come to Christ, you are not only part of a new community, but you're part of a new family. You're connected to history. So you're not only connected to a new community, you're connected to a new family. And then finally, this is where I want to spend the rest of our time, is our connection to eternity. In this passage, Paul's making a critical point. He's saying we could either choose to live as slaves or we can live as his sons. And if we go back to following the law, we have just gone from being a son to being a slave. And what does it mean to be a son? Sonship is not a universal given. You know, there's a sense where all human beings are created in the image of God. We are image bearers. There's not another person on this planet that you won't, you won't see that doesn't bear the fingerprint, the touch, the hand, whatever it is, the image of God. Now, that image could be very devastated and almost uh, non-existent, but basically, Scripture says that everyone is created in the image of God. Now, that that doesn't mean that we're His sons, it means we're made in His image. We're only sons, it says in this passage, we are only sons when we place our faith in the Son of God. When we are in Christ, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then we become His Son. And that makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of people who bear the image of God who have no desire at all to follow Jesus or to call Jesus their Lord and Savior. They don't do that. And we would say they bear the image of God, but they're not His Son. They don't belong to Him because they will not bow the knee to Him. Now, I want to talk a little bit about sons and sonship. In the Greco-Roman world of Paul, women were seen as the lower part of society. There's a popular saying that went like this. Blessed be God that he did not make me a Gentile. Blessed be God that he did not make me ignorant or a slave. Blessed be God that he did not make me a woman. This is a popular... And it gives you... You know, you go to John chapter 4. And, and at John chapter 4, what's going on there? Jesus meets a woman at the well. And she's surprised that he would even have a conversation with Jesus. And, and, and she says, How can you, being a man, ask me anything or even talk to me? Well, now, think about this. Jesus is a rabbi, a religious rabbi. She, as you read the story a little bit, was probably lower, you know, as far as moral in, in society. He was a man, she was a woman. He was a Jew, she was not. You know, so there was all these different things going on. And so she was surprised that Jesus would even talk to her, let alone dialogue with her. And and, and essentially, in that society, women were at the bottom uh, rung of the ladder. Another part of, of uh, uh, Paul's culture was this. For, well, let me just go on for a minute. So women. Uh, were talked about in rude and condescending ways. They were not taught the law, and they were considered not reliable witnesses in a court of law. So they were not really well respected in that day and age. And and and, and unfortunately, sometimes the apostle Paul gets gets um, a bad rap because he's anti-female, he's anti-women. And I just want to show you from the passage we're reading that Paul is far from that. And I want to show you that Jesus and Paul are making an incredible statement, but it gets lost. And we're going to take a moment and look at that. But let me just build my case a little bit. So another part of Jewish culture was that only sons got the inheritance. If you were a daughter, you didn't get an inheritance. If you were a son, you got an inheritance. I mean, you just look at English... You go through the history of England and you see that's true. You know, you know, kings are having daughters and it's like, great, you had a daughter, but now have a boy, right? Why? Because the monarchy will only pass from son to son to son. So, so it was the same in Paul's day. So inheritance only came down to the male, to the son, to the, to, to the son. And so if you were a woman, you essentially got nothing. Now... I'm going to talk about something that's going to seem totally unrelated, but I want to tie this all together because I'm going to make a statement to you. Women, listen, stick with me here. I'm going to make a statement to you that I think you'll say, wow, that's really cool. I hope. If I get it right, you'll say that. If you don't, then I just totally bombed, and that very likely to happen. All right. So we live in a world today in our American society and in Christianity today Where we're trying to take the Word of God, and we do this through all the centuries. We start out with the King James Bible and the printing press and, you know, all the different translations that we have now. And essentially what, what people are trying to do in the English world and other worlds too is they're trying to take the Old, they're trying to take the, the Bible, which was written in, in the Old Testament, Hebrew and Aramaic, and in the New Testament, Koine Greek, which was the trade language. It was the common language of the Roman world. And they're trying to translate that into English. Now, here's the problem with that. If you've ever taken a foreign language, you realize that it's impossible to go, you know, essentially word for word. There's idioms. There's all these different things. Um, So it's hard to do that. So what we do, what we have is we have two different ways that people translate the Bible, the New Testament, into English. One is they do a more literal, like the King James or like the NASB, New American Standard, or like the English Standard Version, uh, which was basically word for word for word. They're trying word for word for word to make it more literal. The the translation that you have in the chairs is the NLT, the second edition, the New Living Translation. That is thought for thought. That would be like the NIV, you know, different translations like that. That's thought for thought. Now... Here's what here's the one isn't better, you know, I, we could start a debate here and people could say, well, one's better than another. It's just different. The NLT is trying to say we're going to try to make this as readable as possible so that you, as you read through it you it'll make sense to you, right? The uh the uh ESV, the English Standard Version, the more literal translation, is just saying we're just going to try to be as accurate as we can to the text, and you're going to have to kind of work on this a little bit harder. So we've taken a more thought-for-thought thought rather than word-for-word. Word. Now, in the verse that I ask you to underline, I want to read it to you, but I want to read the two different versions so you can see kind of what I'm talking about here, because we miss a point. The 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 version that we're using here misses the point of what Paul's saying because the, the 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 translators made a decision. And I think, unfortunately, I would have probably not done that, but I understand why they did it. Let me read you the passage and you'll get this. In the English Standard Version, it says this, In Christ Jesus, this is Galatians 3.26, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through Faith, right the NLT second edition says this you are all children of God through faith so the, the verse is identical we are sons or children of God right through faith in Jesus Christ that's what it's saying so the question is why do they translate it sons or children sons is literal we is the Greek word which means sons okay uh, so they're using children. What are they doing there? They're saying, well, we want them to understand that it's uh, the, the, here's the point. They're making a decision, and I think it's a right decision for what they're trying to do, but I think it misses the point. What Paul is saying is really, really critical for you women to hear. Paul is saying, in my world, women are looked down on. In my world, women do not get an inheritance. Only sons get an inheritance. And what he's saying here is this. In Christ Jesus, we are all men and women sons of God. What he's saying here is everyone gets an inheritance. It doesn't matter whether you're a woman. doesn't matter whether you're a man. Everyone gets the inheritance. It's open to men and women. That's why they translate it children, because they're essentially saying, well... We all get it. We're all children, right? But that misses the point. What Paul is making is a very powerful statement to his culture. He's saying, you know what, I know that the, the, the inheritance always goes to the Son, but Jesus does things different. Women get an inheritance. And they get just the same inheritance as the men. Women and men, both, because there is neither male or female anymore. You see the point he's making? It's a really powerful point. He's saying because we're in Christ, we all get the inheritance. Women get the inheritance. We all get the inheritance. Paul is saying that both men and women are sons. We are sons in the fact that we all get the inheritance. We all receive the inheritance, both men and women. Christ has included women in this great inheritance. You are significant. You are included. You are equally accepted in the family inheritance. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty cool. That's pretty exciting. Do so you see his point, women? He's, ele- he's elevating you. He's elevating your status. In God's kingdom, men and women are equal heirs to the inheritance. We're equal members of His kingdom. And so now he elaborates on that point. And so he says, to be his son or daughter, because now you are his son or daughter, and you have the inheritance that comes with it, he says a couple of things. You are clothed with Christ. What does it mean to be clothed with Christ? You know, your clothing reveals your identity, doesn't it? Um, when a person wears a uniform and identifies them, like if you are a nurse or a firefighter or a beekeeper, each one of you thought of a different dress, right? And, and so basically when you are in Christ, you have a new identity, all right? Secondly, there's a closeness. Most of us keep our clothes close to us, right? We wear them. And what I found is troubling that when the people that don't want to wear clothes really should. And the other thing, the other trend I found about wearing clothes is some people wear clothes way too close, or too tight, whatever. Um, And so clothes speak of identity; they speak of closeness. That Christ is close to us. That we're we're under His umbrella. That He, you know, there's this and acceptance. When the Father sees us, He sees His Son first. We are covered and protected. And it reminds me of Genesis three, where Adam and Eve sinned. What did they do? They sinned. And what was the first thing that they they realized? We're naked. That's how they say it down south. Let me say it up. They're naked. Okay? And so they began to hide. And God said, who told you you were naked? Right? And so what did God do? God killed an animal and took skins and covered them. And, And that's a picture of Jesus who would come and give His life so that we can be covered by Jesus. When God looks at us, He sees that we're covered by Christ. So we're, we're clothed with Christ. Secondly, we're adopted into God's uh, our Father's family. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us. Who were slaves to the law so that we could be adopted as his very own children. Now adoption for many people, for some people can be a difficult event. But if you are a prisoner, if you are in bondage, if you are, you you are in a bad place and you are now brought into a new family, a loving, wonderful, joyful family, and it's the family of God, you now have a new standing. This is a wonderful event. This is a great turn of events. And then, number three, we're given the Holy Spirit. Because we are His children, God has sent His Spirit, uh, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. God sent His Son into the world to save us. And next, God sent His Spirit into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. Um, This is really important. We talk about this idea that God is always with with us. God is with us. God is with us, right? But what, what Jesus is saying here, and what Paul is saying here, is not only is God with us, God is within us. And Paul's going to talk more about that when we get through the book of Galatians. He's going to say, what does it mean to know that the Spirit of God is really directing and guiding you in your life? What does it mean to be, and he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, all these different fruits. But you say, he says, that's when you know that the, the Spirit of God is really directing and guiding you. And then he says, uh, what is the fruit of the flesh? Well, he talks about what that is. And he says, if you're doing that at this moment, you know at that moment you're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that as we move on. But the point I want you to see is this, that God gave us His Spirit. We are clothed in Christ and we are uh, now, God's Spirit is not just with us, but within us. Let me give you three final points of application. And I need to move fairly quickly here. Number one, don't give the gift back. Embrace it and treasure it. Here's the thing. What I'm telling you is that you have been in prison and Christ came and set you free. He didn't just set you free. He didn't just wipe... He, 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 he What we tend to do is... We, he says, you're His son. You're His daughter now. You have an inheritance. But we're prone to giving it all up and saying, okay, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm rescued by Him, but now to stay in His good graces, to make sure that I, I better not mess things up. Uh, I, and so we're prone to giving all of this up and trying to re-earn His favor or to try to keep His favor. We say, if I do this, He may disown me. And I just want you to understand that, you came by grace and you are kept by grace. It, you are never going to do anything that, is, that God's going to say, okay, I thought I saved you for this, but I didn't know you'd do that. You're out of here. You know, this that, is not the way it works. So don't give back your, your inheritance. Embrace it and treasure it. And then number two, don't just find forgiveness. See your newfound status. See, Christ didn't just set you free from your sins, He didn't just get you off of death row. He gave you a new standing. He took your sin, the the slate that had all of your sins and all of your transgressions, and he wiped it clean as far as the east is from the west. He brought you into his family. And he didn't just get you off of death row, but he now you're his son, you're his daughter. You are royalty. You're royalty. Now, maybe you don't think that way of yourself, but the Father does, and that's the most important thing. The One who created the universe says when you are in Christ, when you call upon Christ, not only will I, I, I get you off of death row, not only will I wipe your slate clean, but now you are my son and you are my daughter and you're in a royal family and you belong to Me. You're a child of the King. Last point. Don't walk in fear and doubt. Our Father owns this place. You know, there's an enemy that wants nothing more than for us to live defeated, fearful, and doubt doubt and doubt and God's love for us. He wants us to second-guess the Word of God and what it says. And uh, I just want to say, don't listen to the enemy. Don't listen to the enemy. God will honor us. As he honors his one and only son, we can walk with our heads held high. Why, because we are forgiven because we are his sons because we are his daughters. Why? because his word tells us that because the spirit of god that he 's planted within us reminds us of that that we 're accepted and kept by Jesus. I want to close with one passage this is an amazing passage, and we oftentimes don 't think about it, and we don 't you, you, you know because I think one of the things we struggle with is, is does God really does he really love me? Does he really care? And 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 I want to read you a verse. This is Jesus, and he says this. John 17, in his, his prayer, Jesus prayed. He says, may they experience, and he's talking to, about us. He's talking about those who would believe in him. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. Now, we usually stop there and say, we ought to love one another because it's going to be a powerful testimony to the rest of the world. Okay, that may be so. But notice what he says after that. He says, I pray that they would experience perfect unity and that you love them as much as you love me. You see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, Father, I pray, and essentially he's agreeing that this is true, you love them as much as you love me. Now, I don't think anybody has to convince us the Father loves the Son. But have you ever thought that the Father loves you as much as he loves the Son? That's what Jesus is saying. Now, let that sink in for a little bit. It's not because you're good enough. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you deserve it. That's Paul's whole point. The law will never do that for you. But when you are adopted, when you are given the inheritance... Why? Because God the Father loves you as much as He loves the Son. There's three connections. In Christ, you're connected to Christ, but you're also connected to one another. We're part of a new community. You're connected to history. Abraham's your spiritual father. And you're connected to eternity. You have received an inheritance that is beyond your... Not only have you been taken off of death row, but you have been given an inheritance. You are now his son and his daughter. You are royalty. And God loves you like he loves his son. Paul's final thought. You are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So as you leave this place, Walk out as your head held high because you matter and you are valuable to the one who makes value value, (laughs) who makes life life, who says the world be there and it is. And he says, you are forgiven. The prison cell is open. The slate is clean. Death row is no more. And you've been adopted You're part of my family. You're my son. You're my daughter. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a slave or free, whether you're black or white. It doesn't matter. You're royalty. And I love you as much as I love my only begotten son. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. So Father, that promise is for those who are in Christ who have called upon Jesus and asked him to be their rescue, their savior. And I pray that if there's anyone here, Father, that's trying to follow the law, be good enough, do enough, go to church, believe in you, do all those things, that they would realize they're just drowning, they're just prisoners, they've fallen for the lie of the enemy. I pray that as we leave this place today, that we would walk with our heads held high because we are children of You. Your children. Freely forgiven. No longer slaves. But those who have received an incredible inheritance and who are loved as You love Your Son. Thank You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.